Gwen, welcome back. Oh, thank you. I'm happy to be back. Oh, man, it's been lonesome here without you. <laughs> hey, listen, this is an exciting trip. I, I, I can't tell you, uh, the fact that you managed to organize and go to Malawi at such a short notice and spend uh, three weeks mm -hmm. there uh, is very exciting. And it, it, it comes back to me that in January of 2008, you and I were arranging a yes. trip to Africa and, yeah. and things got all twisted up. But in the end, you came to my, my wife's village, Makupo, in Malawi, and you yes. spent a, some days there with us and your family. Uh, man, that must be quite a... a ch that's, that's 11 years. What? Yeah, yeah. Wow. What lots, were your impressions from change. then? Let's go back to then. What were your impressions then? Oh, okay, then, geez, it's so hard. It's more, I'm more sort of attuned to what I saw as the contrast and the difference now, 11 years later. So I think through those observations, I'll be able to talk about then. Okay. So, I mean, on the most basic level, all of the cutie pie little children back in 2008 have grown up. <laughs> and have so, babies. In their... Or not even yet. I mean, some like Eunice, who was the, you know, the shoo-shoo little baby that everybody was passing around in their arms, is now a beautiful Ooh. young woman Ooh. and very present and very sweet. And so, you know, just from a th that kind of perspective as a mother, seeing all of these uh, children grow up and look so beautiful and then of course a whole new crop of babies and toddlers and cutie pies that have taken their place so <sighs> on that level you know it was really very sweet and fun and nice um, I do recall Doug that back in 2008 when we, we gathered in uh, Makupo village, the well was very new. Brand so new. That well had just been introduced. You did a documentary about the impact of uh, putting in a well and how it changes the life in a village. And a second part of that documentary is about remittances and mm -hmm. their importance. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the well now is just so integrated, like it's just such a part of daily life. It's not commented on anymore. When we were there, it was so new and it was a source of such celebration because it freed people from you know unbelievably arduous labor of walking for one or two kilometers i forget how far women and girls had to walk to gather the water but now it's just it's part of the daily life and it's gathered and it's not to minimize the amount of labor even locally to be pumping that well and carrying the water around the village is no small feat but it's a huge improvement and it's just so integrated like it's just as i said it you don't even comment on it it's just part of what goes on there it's so actually a social setting it eh? is people gather in the morning and they chat and uh, it is exactly doug actually it has become a meeting point and uh very Dying. fun to see uh, kids do the laundry side by side in yeah. the tub yeah everybody yeah. knows the color of everybody's underwear <laughs> pretty much yeah pretty much well i won't comment on that that's their business but anyway it was it is it is a bit of a social scene it's a little bit like in the office gathering around the coffee pot or the coffee maker yeah, exactly in the morning you know people are yakking and laughing and obviously sharing gossip and news and stuff so it also has a really nice social value you made a lot of friends back then even then yeah. and, and where are those folks now there who can you talk yeah, about yeah so that's true and um i guess back in 2008 when we were there aids was just absolutely ravaging the country and ravaging the village of Makupo and 
it was, you know, that was the predominant theme back in 2008. And so coming back 11 years later, the survivors are there. Of course, you know, many people were lost in those intervening years and there's a real sadness about that. But, but what is remarkable really is that many or the majority were not lost in those intervening years because... Uh, well, certainly the intervention of you and Nellie and your family in terms of sensitizing people to going and getting the ARVs, which have become uh, accessible, they're free, um, saved so many lives. But what you and Melody, the nursing teacher at Vanier, who was there in 2008 and has subsequently been there every year with, or most years with the nursing exchange program, worked so hard on destroying the taboo around AIDS. And so one of the things that was incredibly amazing this time round is that one of the elders of the village, um, I bumped into him one morning and we were chatting and I said, you know, what's your day like today? And he said, well, I'm off to the hospital. And I said, oh my gosh, I said, are you okay? And uh, he said, well, yes, I am. And he said, you know, I have AIDS, right? I'm just going for my treatment. And I'm telling you, Doug, I almost fell off my feet. That open conversational completely non-taboo conversation about, well, you know I have AIDS and I have to go in regularly for, you know, for a checkup and meds and all of that. I, I, I was floored. When you are totally understating your role in this, when you were there in 08, you and Melody funded a trip to the, the uh, counseling and, uh, and uh, what do you call it, detection center to, for people to get tested and counseled on this and we sent a a busload, a minibus of uh, something like 12 of the village elders in, uh, one young lady, and uh, and they got tested, and it was at your initiative that that happened. So don't do, you, you've downplayed your role well, in this. Anyway. And they came back, and I might say to you, you were gone by the time they, mm -hmm. they revealed to me what their statuses was. They, they didn't have to, but there were several that came to me, two men in particular, because we're men, uh, and said to me, You've made me a happy man. Mm. I now know what I have and what I have to do to deal yeah. with it. And they are now work hard working. They're alive. Oh, and they're out farming their fields. Healthy looking. They're raising their children and grandchildren. Um, and you know, I looked across the village. I don't know everybody in the village, but the people that I remember from times past, I knew who had AIDS. Like I, I knew. But it's not. They're healthy. They're productive. They are hardworking, they are busy in their lives, it's open, and I, I just, I found that unbelievably moving. So that was, that was another really unbelievably positive thing. And now, you know, now the Malawian government is on board and they've ruled out free um, ARVs and people oh, have yeah, access yeah, yeah, to the yeah. free medication. So, I mean, it's, it's quite a profound change Absolutely. in that sense. So, wonderful. There are still AIDS orphans. There's still a lot, you know, a lot of, lot of challenges. I don't want to paint too rosy a picture, but really unbelievably positive change. There is and hope. people are surviving this disease and going on to have productive lives and, as I said, raise their children and grandchildren. So, that was amazing. Another thing, and you just reminded me before we went on air, so back in 2008, I had a wonderful walk through a, um, a field with one of the residents of Makupo Bolezani, 
and he was our ho our specific host at the time. He was he and his wife Mercy looked after us while we were there back then. So I so and so the, and back in two thousand eight, the conversation with Belizani is he took me into his tobacco field and it was gorgeous, impeccable, not a weed in sight. Obviously, he and his wife were working this field beautifully and yet so shockingly poor. And at the time, I said to him, Belizani, there's no farmer in the world who could rival this crop and how beautiful it is and healthy. What is going on? Why is it that you and your wife are so poor? And as lucid and incisive as anybody could be, he said, well, we don't get any money for it. They're buying cartels. Um, they set the price. At the end, we harvest. They come to us or we go to town. I forget what the method was. And they set the price. There's no negotiation, nothing. So it is rare that we even get the money back on our investment in inputs of fertilizer and all of that. So structurally, we are poor. He didn't use that term, but that was the message, is it doesn't matter how hard we work or how beautiful these crops are, uh, we will be poor because we will never be properly compensated. Um, this time round, uh, there's no more tobacco in that village. Isn't so I amazing, remember, right? yeah, because there were drying racks, the whole thing, tobacco visually was a huge aspect of the village. Gone, gone, gone. They are not tobacco farmers anymore. There is still a lot of tobacco and I saw it and there's a sad story to tell about that later, but Makupo has done away with the, with the tobacco and there's a lot of soya. Very interesting. That uh, soil is healthy for the soil. It is. It's healthy. That's right. It fixes nitrogen. It keeps that soil healthy for other crops. So that was interesting to see. Um, of course, maize. Absolutely. The the um, um, subsistence crop. Yeah. Um, lots of ground nuts. Uh, not so much in Makupo, but I understand that people are shifting to cassava and sweet potatoes as a result of climate change, and we can address that a little bit later, but the tobacco's gone, which is just as well because... Oh, it's one of the most destructive crops in the well, soil. A, and B, it's a cash crop for a foreign, uh, for um, an external market, and we know that the international trade rules are fixed so that there is no way that those farmers are going to make any money. So I was really glad to see that gone, but as I said, it's not gone everywhere. And it brings me to the next issue, which is that while we were there, there was the most terrifying storm that broke out. Um, now, this they, wasn't connected to Cyclone Idea. No, no, that had already come and gone. And, you know, that area of Malawi, we were in the central region, which was not affected by the cyclone. Uh, but I thought this was another cyclone. I, it, thankfully, we were inside. We were inside the clinic. The clinic was closed, and Melody and I and Mike, the medical technician, and a couple of other people were there. We were getting ready to leave, and this storm hit, and I have never seen anything like it. The driving rains, the lightning, the wind, uh, and I kid you not, one hour of continuous Hail, and I'm talking huge hail. These stones. are not little, little no, no. pee balls. It really felt apocalyptic. It was horrible. I don't scare that easily. I have to say, I was sweating during that storm. It was ugly, 
trees were getting flattened, stuff was flying by, and really we looked at each other and said, okay, I, it, the, the other cyclone had just passed a week before, and it was like, okay, is this another cyclone? Is this what's going on? Anyway, this storm went on for about two and a half hours, and then we left and walked back to the village. Trees were flattened, branches all over the place. And the crops. And well, this is it. And the thing is, the, the, the crops in Makupa were fine, but what got devastated was tobacco. Absolutely. So we're, we're Hail right. puts holes in those Absolutely, leaves. and they're finished. And so we were right at the beginning of harvest season. So all those farmers who put all of that work into tending to these crops in the 11th hour, they lost them. Because by now the rain should have been tapering off. Yes. They should have been very and small. And for the time that we were there, it was tapering off. But we saw a number of storms that were very frightening. Uh, I went into Kasungu, the the town closest to the village, and um, we went to KJP's, which is a popular little restaurant there. And we walked in, and their their sitting their outdoor sitting area that's very sweet and nicely set up had been devastated the week before by a tornado oh boy and keith the one of the owners of the place said to me he said look you see he said do you see all that sheet metal that's lying all over the place and i said yeah and then he pointed to a structure he said that used to be the roof and he said that one of his employees when the when the tornado hit and the roof was lifting off actually threw himself on top of the roof to try to keep it down, and he lifted with the roof. I mean, it is a miracle oh, this guy did not get geez. killed. So tornadoes, hours of hail, um, very frightening climate change going on. And Quantities of rain at times when they're not expected. No, uh, right, it should be tapering off. The electrical storm, the whole thing, and once stuff calmed down and I was able to kind of tour the village and talk to some of the elders. And feel safe. <laughs> yeah, but they do not mince their words. I said, what the heck was that all about? And they all said, climate change. Climate change for people in Malawi, it's not, oh, gee, is that climate change? Oh, is there data on this? Oh, oh, oh. It's, yes, this is climate change. The weather is changing. Weather patterns are changing. Um, our traditional crops are getting devastated. Uh, it, it, it's for them, it's, it's there. They're living it every day. They get it. They're wondering how the hell they're going to survive this. They're talking about crop adaptation, changing crops. Um, it's in the news all the time. They are aware there is no climate change denialism in Malawi because they are right there front row center dealing with that most dangerous edge of what is to come and it was devastating because as you know Doug this these are subsistence farmers they there's no fat there's no margin of maneuver there's no buffer as it is without climate change they are barely surviving and with this added element just devastating honestly devastating but they're savvy they're aware of what's going on nobody needs to tell them they know exactly mm -hmm. what's going on mm -hmm. and that was you know all of the conversations i had you know people are not mystified they get it but they also know that they're at the fuck end again of a system that does not work for them 
Well, yeah, maybe they can't explain, in fact, that uh, the pollution is occurring in northern and uh, industrialized no, areas. No, but they get that it they that they're getting screwed they're over yet yep. again. You know, this is just uh, an industrial system that uh, never benefited them in the first place, exploited them, oh, yeah. depleted their resources, and, even, even the and now they're paying the climate change price for it, and it's astounding it's just astounding yeah and even the switch from uh, tobacco to soy and groundnuts well those two crops perhaps add nutrition to the soil uh, it's still controlled by the international market yeah well and yeah but at least it feeds them tobacco didn't yeah you grow. can eat you can so eat that them, i thought sure. that that was a very positive change because tobacco oh, yes, never fed them and they never got properly paid for it but and groundnuts it and the soil soya it's one of maize. the worst for the soils yeah yeah so that was um, that was really interesting. Um, wow, well, my I goodness! There's so many. What, what about uh, other other reflections? I mean, uh, uh, my goodness, uh, you you wrote about remittances back in the day. You talk about remittances yeah. and how one village, because they have a, a a woman whose husband is from Canada and who manages to pull support. Yeah. But well, I, I mean, obviously. Things have happened at Makupo and uh, the neighboring Chilanga. Uh, what's your feeling on that whole uh, whole well, thing un- about un- isolated development yeah. occurring by chance? Yeah, unchanged since 2008. So the wonderful news of remittance and having the great opportunity of having a link with, you know, Nelly and you who came to Canada and had the resources or were or the capacity to organize resources to remit back to Makupo and Chilanga has had absolutely unbelievable spin-offs. So what started with a well has grown to a guest house that's income generating for the community and they very, very obviously love and want people to come and stay in the guest house. We had extensive conversations with the women in the village and the one thing of everything that they dearly want to hold on to and keep going is the guest house. So that's fantastic. There is now a full-fledged clinic um, that is seeing 70 or 80 people a day where before there was no easy access to healthcare. It's free. It's still in development, still reliant on remittances, but much less so while we were there. It became clear that the, uh, well, to put it simply, the government will take over the financing of staffing of the clinic and stuff like that. So very positive, moving towards a much more autonomous status. But the clinic was born of remittances of that connection with Canada. Um, Not a great model, you know, not necessarily sustainable. And in any event means nothing to the millions of other Malawians who are facing exactly the same challenges and it you know it's just it's just so evident that there's this little pocket of people who are somewhat better off but by no means you know well off they know um and it's wonderful good fortune for them but that's the problem it's good fortune and it doesn't address the systemic issues the roots of the poverty um, and so remittances are a band-aid and a fortunate one for a few hundred people in this particular area, not ever going to transform the lives of uh, most Malawians. The village right beside us while I was there, a two-year-old baby died. Um, preventable, it was malaria. It oh, was a yes. preventable death, and, um, but not preventable when you are so uh, living 
so close to... When you're so absolutely poor that you don't have the money to either travel five mm. kilometers to a hospital yeah. or even pay for a mm. 25-cent medicine. No. And that's the injustice and the inequity of it all is it's just, it's completely outrageous. This is a neo-colonial situation. This is a country that never had a revolution, that never, you know, it was a quote-unquote peaceful transfer of power to what ended up being a horrible dictatorship. Uh, and Malawi has never broken free from its colonial shackles, and it's painfully clear, and it's not to put down for a moment what you and Nellie and your community oh, have done no, for this no. village, and rightly so. It's family solidarity, and it's it absolutely has to happen. It's essential, but it doesn't mean anything to the vast majority of Malawians. That being said, you woke up every morning, and you looked out your window. Mm, Wasn't that sweet? Beautiful sunrise. Uh, and then people came, came, and what did they do? What oh, was the well first thing? sat on the porch. Well, the kids came and sat on the porch and drew, and we had so much fun doing tons of little... I mean, I didn't do anything. I sat there, and they created absolutely spectacular art. I mean, there were two or three kids. All of them did cute stuff. Two or three of them are bona fide artists. And, I, you know, in my heart of hearts, despite that context of poverty, I want these kids to be able to become artists because why should they have to be vocational people or farmers when their spirit is as artists? Every person should have equal opportunity. Yeah, yeah. it was an amazing trip. Thank you, Gwen. 